The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you and for the next half hour is always here on Saturday mornings. A frank, open, honest conversation about gambling and uh, more specifically Gambling addiction. Joining me as always from Epic Risk Management and still an advisor to 800 Gambler, the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling is Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Good morning. Getting ready for uh, what Thanksgiving next week. Yeah, just a couple uh, couple days away. Yes, a good time. And uh, listen, we'll get into that in a sec because uh, Thanksgiving has extra special meaning. I think yeah. uh, to I know to me and uh, to you as well. Joining yeah. us uh, this morning from New Jersey is Vin B. Vin is a uh, compulsive gambler as well and has been in recovery for 20-plus years now. And, Vin, we appreciate you coming on to share your story. Thank you. My pleasure, Craig. Does it uh, seem like 20 years when I say that number to you? <laughs> Seems like yesterday. <laughs> so, well, let's go back to whatever that yesterday was. How uh, young a man were you? When you uh, first well, started to gamble? Actually, it goes way back 45-plus um, years ago uh, for me. Uh, I'm an old guy. Um, I first uh, began gambling on August 2nd, 1976. Hmm. I'm sorry. In 1969, uh, I stopped um, in February of 1976. But I had a seven-year period of living hell, an absolute um, nightmare. Uh, Gamblers Anonymous has a, a combo book, a yellow book, we call it, that talks about a slow, subtle deterioration. Not so with Vin. I began with a visit to a racetrack, Atlantic City Racecourse. It's no longer there in South Jersey for a pleasant Saturday afternoon with my young wife. She was 23. I was 25 with our best friends and closest neighbors uh, who had some experience with gambling. This fellow, his father was a bookie in Newark, New Jersey for years, was forced out of Newark and then moved down to the shore as a bookie in, uh, in Belmore, New Jersey. And my, and his son, Tommy, was my neighbor and best friend. So he knew a lot about gambling. We went for a pleasant day out. My oldest son was three months old. First time we left him with a babysitter, my in-laws, went to the racetrack and won $118. Mm. And in 1969, that was a lot of money. Sure. Took, Took the other couple and my wife, big shot, to dinner at Zabra's restaurant, which was a great restaurant in South Jersey, and sat there at the table and said to them, you know, that first experience that I had with um, gambling was a rush, was a high of all highs, of all rushes. I better stay away from that place because I really got into a zone in that place. And so you felt that right away to the point where you could verbalize that? Yes. Huh. Yes, I did. Wow. And three days or four days at most later, I was back there. I was teaching at the time, and 
had uh, some employment in the summer, but not regularly. Let me stop you there for a second. When you went back, did you go back with friends and your wife, or did you go back alone? No, 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 no. I I just snuck off to the track, told my wife I was working, and went back and just kept going back and going back. Uh, It instantly became the carousel of insanity, as we say. Now, that's Atlantic City for a lot of people that are listening now. That's uh, that's pre-casino Atlantic City. Yeah. So you were not going there to casinos. You were going there specifically and exclusively to the track. Uh, did you expand that to making wages with neighborhood bookies on sports, or were you solely a uh, horse guy? Well, initially it was the racetracks that were open. First Atlantic City, then Garden State out in Cherry Hill that no longer exists. Right. Then the following spring when Monmouth Park opened, it was a regular. It it became almost a daily occurrence of actually being at the track back then. Mm. But I did find a bookie and met someone at at one of the tracks that put me onto his bookie in Poughkeepsie, New York. And for the seven-year period, I buried myself, my family, Almost destroyed myself financially. How did you? Uh, how did you kind of compartmentalize your hours teaching and going to the track? Were you uh, like uh, a lunchtime run to the track or OTB, which was very popular back then, or did you wait till the, the school day was over and then run over there? Unfortunately, it was teaching in a school where the kids run split sessions, so we only taught from seven fifteen to twelve fifteen. And I would race as quickly as I could, living at the shore to either one of the three tracks that, that I could go to. And then the fourth one, I even hit freehold because that was the closest right. one yeah. to me. But um, it was as uh, totally irresponsible in terms of meeting uh, what I should have been doing was always sneaking off to the track. It was always and I didn't just teach. I also had a couple of very lucrative cash businesses, and one of them uh, was a funeral livery, a limousine service. So I always had the excuse that I was running to Newark Airport with a client, right. Kennedy Airport, and it was it, I had guys doing that. I was at the track. And, Dan, that's a familiar refrain, yeah. the the lying, obviously, but the, the inventive stories uh, the gamblers come up with why they're not going to be present. Yeah, you know, it's crazy because I I hear Vin kind of describe it right off the bat, and you picked up on it, Craig, as as feeling that rush, and he could actually uh, kind of speak to it immediately saying, hey, this is something I need to be careful about because I feel it inside me, and then how it manifests itself, and you start creating this life around the gambling. You have these lucrative side businesses and cash businesses to add to that because it's easier to kind of hide and maneuver and then you have other people working for you. It's the lying. It's the escape. It's the excuses. It, it just becomes your life. And before you know it, you're, you're just knee deep and then waist deep and then you're over your head in it. Hey, Vin, how long did it take for your wife or uh, buddies or family members to come uh, to you and say, hey, what's going on? You don't seem like yourself. Uh, my wife, of course, was the one that was hurt the most. And she knew I was lying and I think the most despicable thing that was, has ever been said about me, uh, and I'm still to this day so ashamed of and so of so much guilt feelings over, two very important people in my life 
of a very, very um, good people at various times over that seven-year period said the same thing in social settings. If Vin's lips are moving, he's lying. Wow. And what what uh, Dan just alluded to, it's synonymous. Our, our, my whole life was a lie because I was always hiding, always covering, always masking the horrendous behavior. So what, so what for facade. you be, what for you became the the low moment? What was your rock bottom that led you to finally, you know, stop lying, stop going to the track, stop finding ways to go gamble? Did something happen? Was there a, uh, an event in your life that brought you to your knees? Well, over time, the, the throughout the, the period, I knew what I was doing was wrong. And after the seven years, in, in January, it was January 25th. Well, let me stop you there, for, if, and I apologize for interrupting you. Seven, so this gambling run was a seven-year run. Yes. Like an almost daily, full, totally encompassing your life for seven full years. Every day, uh, the, the action was the top priority. Hmm. I hated to go to sleep at night. Because I I couldn't be in action. I was my head couldn't race. I, I was um, just manicky all of the time, and yet maintaining some semblance of a reasonable life, running two businesses, teaching, and uh, you know, yeah. nice guy. People people had no idea for the most part. Okay, so go ahead now. Let get get to the your story of when it uh, when you hit that rock bottom. Well, it, it wasn't a rock bottom per se. It really was um, being so exhausted from the the um, insanity of it all. I, I was ready uh, when my wife took the bull by the horns. She contacted Gamblers Anonymous in New Jersey. The um, It wasn't a website back in those days in 76. She called the the uh, hotline, hmm. and they sent to me in a plain brown envelope uh, the Gamblers Anonymous uh, combo book, some newspaper articles about people that got in trouble with gambling. I opened the envelope, read it all carefully, and and tore it up into tiny pieces and buried it in the garbage. Didn't say anything to my wife. A day or so went by, and she said, did you receive anything in the mail recently that was important? <laughs> and I said, well, I knew that you sent me that. Well, um, she gave me the ultimatum then, get help or get out. Wow. And I knew, and she was only 30 at the time, but she was a, a bright, sharp person, and she knew that our marriage was in trouble. We had you know, you know what's really, you know, what's really amazing about that to me, also, uh, Vin, is that Gamblers Anonymous wasn't started until uh, late 1957, right. so it was not well known. You know, uh, AA was started back in the uh, mid 30s, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, uh, in Ohio. Yes, and GA was started out in California, uh, but it was in the late 50s. Uh, from a former alcoholic who used the same principles to start GA. So the fact that your wife in the early or mid-1970s mm. was able to contemplate that there must be something out there for people who have a gambling problem is fascinating. Mm. And well, to her credit, yeah. I, I obviously yeah. I assume you credit her with saving your life, too. 
Oh, indeed. No, no question about that. So walk me through. So she comes to you and says, it's, uh, you got to make a choice there, big guy. Either you stop gambling and get help or you're going to lose your family. And was it cold turkey? Did you gamble again? Did you immediately say, you know, I'm in, I'm going to go get help? What was that process like? Well, she wisely went to the office where I had the uh, two businesses, and she told the secretary, I want the two checkbooks. The secretary, after she left with the checkbooks, called me where I was teaching and said it was an emergency. The secretary interrupted me in my class to take a phone call, and the, the secretary in a panic said, Nina took the, the checkbooks, hmm. and I was relieved. And when I got home, I knew I was in for a terrible uh, confrontation because the checkbook was loaded with checks to cash to businesses. My accountant used to scream at me every quarter when he'd do the books. You can't be writing these checks to cash for thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, my, my betting with the bookie and legally the lottery, everything and anything I could bet on, I bet on. And I, w- I was happy that it was the end of the line. And we sat reasonably and discussed the situation when she said, get help or get out and had the, the two checkbooks there. Right. And the next Monday night, I was in a, a GA room in Asbury Park. And at 32, I was terrified going into that room. It was a, a beautiful church, an old church. And the guys were all older. The youngest was probably 48, 49 in that room. All the rest of them were late 50s and 60s. And I listened to their stories. They said, kid, just sit here and listen. And I listened for an hour and a half. And then they asked me the 20 questions as we do when a new person comes into a GA room. And I answered 20 for 20 because I had done all the things that were listed. And they said, Give the program 90 days, one day at a time. Just live your life today. Don't make a bet. Do what's right and make as many meetings as you can over the next 90 days. Well, I was so ready for help, so ready for recovery. I was like a sponge, and I got a great sponsor early on. who was a retired attorney from New York who was such a sharp guy and a, a pillar in um, – GA like Arnie Wexler and and um, so many of the other guys Ed Looney, Eddie Weed, this fellow David from New York was just like them. He was he was a pillar in Gamblers Anonymous, leading young guys like me. And he he never called me Vin or Vinny. He was always kid. Hmm. And after I, I went home from the first meeting, he said to my wife, "You know I'm bad. I've done terrible things." But those guys are really bad. Well, David said to me, writing to the second or third meeting, he said, you know, you say we're worse than you are. You just haven't done what we've done yet. If you keep gambling, you're going to do as bad as us, bad as things as us, or worse. I'm going to stop you right there. We're going to take a very yeah. quick break, and we're going to hear the rest of uh, this fascinating story from Vin B. from New Jersey. 
Been in recovery for well over 20 years and affiliated with GA for more than 40. Dan Trelawney is with us as well, right after this on The Fan. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig, Craig Carton, Dan Trelawney, and Vin B. Vin, uh, when we left you there, you had gotten through your first meeting. You found a sponsor, and it seemed like life was going in the right direction. Uh, one of the things you referenced there, though, was... You felt, I think we've all felt this, that when you look around the room the first time you sit in one, that you're better than those people, that their problems are worse than yours, that you know their, their mistakes are bigger than yours. Uh, yep. And your sponsor very quickly uh, pointed out to you that if you didn't stop, you'd be right there in the same boat as those guys that you kind of felt had bigger problems than you, right? Indeed. And... And in fact, he was prophetic because I, I took to the program from day one and David dragged me to anniversary and special GA meetings all over New Jersey and in New York, the Bronx, out to Long Island and Brooklyn. And I got involved in the business component of, of GA and became an international trustee, had lots of good involvement with programs. And for 23 years, I remained abstinent, clean. I didn't make a bet. I did take live my life one day at a time. But I, I think so, so tragically, and it, um, it, it's so typical of an addict, it seems. Something sometime down the road, sadly, it's, it's many people don't get the program early on, and they keep repeating bets. I had 23 plus years of clean time when caught off guard under the right set of circumstances. Mm. You alluded to earlier, Craig, the casinos weren't in existence in New Jersey right. when I was betting at a young age. Well, went to a whole uh, Notes concert with my wife and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law in 99, and um, lo and behold, that was at a casino, the Hilton in Atlantic City. Right. After the concert, we walked out of the beautiful venue, across the hall. I walked into the casino, and I thought, what the hell? I can bet a little bit. I put about $15 into a slot machine over a few, you know, three or four minutes. My wife put 50 cents into the slot machine. She said, this doesn't get, give us anything. Let's go and get a drink and get something for our money. The bar we walked through. Right. I said, "Give me a few more minutes, a few more minutes." Well, I, I lost fifteen, maybe twenty dollars at most. But just like back in 1969, a few days later, I was back in that same casino, and it was off to the races once again. And wow. I, I wow. picked up right where I left off in '76. You never go back to being a two-dollar better. When you're a compulsive gambler, I picked up where I left off and I had had, you know, 24 plus years really of wonderful success because of following the GA program. I got a master's in a year and a half, uh, was hired as a uh, high school administrator, 
the first interview I went on after graduate school and had a tremendous career. And I don't, I'm not saying that braggingly, but sure. I was at a, at a great career in education as a, as a high school principal and uh, was living the good life. And in one quick moment, one stupid uh, period of, you know, 10 minutes, was sucked right back into the obsession, the the compulsion. And how long and did you gamble before the second time about, around? Uh, about nine months. And in that time frame, remember what I said earlier about I, I hadn't done what the other guys had done yet. Right. They had talked about, and I grew up in Union City, where some of these guys were from, and they had uh, stuck up uh, liquor stores, the A&P, across the street from where I grew up, these guys, you know, had done horrible things. Well, guess what? Vin had retired from education, was working for an insurance company, and I stole from clients to get, because the I went right back and, I mean, I was spending thousands every day. Did you get and, caught stealing or did oh, you uh, oh, just turn yourself I, in? I was the dumbest thief on the face of the earth. It didn't take the, the uh, insurance company long to figure out what I was doing, diverting funds that uh, clients had given me, and very quickly was arrested. And the indignities that it brought on my family, the, mm. the um, shame I still have because of doing such stupid things. Thank God I had a, a good attorney. And there was a very, very understanding judge that I went before. He was familiar with addiction, familiar with problem gambling. And, oh. and he was uh, he allowed me, because I didn't have any criminal record, to go into pretrial intervention instead of serving time. And the probation department there that I faced, the, the person in charge wanted to throw the book at me. I had been arrested by investigators from the attorney general's office, the state of New Jersey. They wanted to hang me. They, it was a, a real bitter battle, but thank God I was represented well and um, didn't, didn't serve time. I was on probation for three years. And, um, you know, it, it brought me back. My wife said again, you better get into a GA room. And that was, you know, early on in this 21st century, and I've been involved uh, ever since in working daily, helping, trying to help other people. I'm not successful all the time, but sure. my goal each day is to try and help somebody that's suffering the way I did, and to help them out of the that off get off the carousel of insanity. Dan, I, we've talked about this a lot, and I shared you know a similar story, although not anywhere near the amount of time. And Vin, just for your background, just so you know, you know, I went to rehab out in uh, Prescott, Arizona, which is really like a rehab capital of this country. There's more rehabs in about a five mile radius than any <laughs> five mile radius in the world. Uh, it was amazing all the different types of rehab centers there were for all different types of addictions, but. I, it was the first time I acknowledged I had a problem. And I kind of dropped my ego and was willing to accept the fact, you know, that uh, the sun didn't rise and set based on how I was living my life and that I had a problem. But when I came home, I went and gambled two more times because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it, stick to a number, and walk out. Um, and I had a big win that first time. 
and then took a portion of those winnings and said, here's what I'm going to do. And I'll tell you the numbers. You know, I won 100 grand, and then uh, a week later went to a different casino, and I brought 30,000 of the 100. And I said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave 10 grand in the car. I'm going to bring 20 grand inside with me. And if I lose the 20, I'm driving home with the 10. It was a test, uh, right? Because uh, uh, yeah. it was so important to me to prove to myself I could do it. And, of course, you know the story. I went home with nothing. Uh, you know, the 20 grand, and I went back to the car for the 10 because I needed the money to, on a double. I was playing blackjack. But, Dan, I bring that up because it's a reminder that well, listen, I feel like I haven't beat three and a half years. I know, Dan, you feel like you haven't beat over a decade. Vin had it beat for yeah. 23 years. And then, for whatever the circumstance was, took a shot at it and couldn't do it. And I wonder, Dan, how frequent that story gets told. Listen, you know, Craig, uh, you and I shared uh, some, some messages during the past week, and I kind of share with you a, a gentleman who's early on recovery. He had a month clean, and he got an offer, an opportunity. Here's some free play hitting your account. Right. Why don't you come back and join us? And that's all it took. You know, it doesn't take much because we have to remember whether a person is in recovery one day or 20-plus years, recovery is fragile. It has to be treated with care. It has to be delicate, has to be worked on on a daily basis, like a, a fine craft that we refine over time. Because Vin just highlighted it. At the, given the, the wrong set of circumstances, a person with a gambling problem can easily fall right back into those behaviors and habits. It's just a switch that goes off. You know, I once heard a, a doctor talk about uh, gambling addiction and addictions of all kinds. Is that even in recovery, the addiction switch is still on. We're just managing it on a daily basis, and we cannot let our guard down for one moment because at any given point in time, and I know it sounds dramatic for people who don't understand addiction or maybe are listening to this that don't have an issue or they're not sure, it is a daily battle, and at times it feels like life-or-death situations. Vin, before we wrap it up here, I'd like to end each show on a positive note because we're very sensitive to the fact that there are people that are at their day one or not even there, but are contemplating, all right, let me walk into a room, let me acknowledge to loved ones I have a problem, and it's very daunting. We've all been in that spot, that really dark place where you don't know who you can tell, you don't know how to tell them, you don't know if you're ever going to figure it out and conquer it and beat it and, and have a life worth living and have your financial problems figured out and you know save relationships. And I think it's important for men like yourself to share with those people, which I know you do in your private life frequently, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that you can solve a lot of those problems and you can live a life worth living. And if you don't mind just sharing some of those thoughts, specifically for people that are about to go into their first meeting, take that first step, and for their family and friends who don't know where to go to get their loved ones some help. Uh, the key for addicts, and I can only speak for myself, but we can't do it alone. The key factor in recovery is acknowledging that I have a problem and then reaching out appropriately for the help that is available. And addicts can help addicts. That's the miracle of every 12-step program. 
Every doctor and counselor that is worth anything will tell an addict, you need a 12-step program, whether it's AA, NA, or GA in case of these three ugly um, addictions. That's the thing that works, reaching out and depending upon fellow addicts to help you through because you can't do it alone. I I work now, as Dan did, for the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey. I answer the 800 helpline. I speak uh, at schools and service clubs uh, every week. And the message is always the same to those that are out there suffering. When you need help, get it because it's there for you. And the only way you can recover is to reach out to others because we all stop time and time again. Every time I went down the escalator at Monmouth Park from the clubhouse, at losing day after day after day, I would say to myself, I'm never coming back here again. Right. This is yeah. it. Before I hit the parkway to head, head south to Ocean County, I was planning where am I going to get connive, steal, beg, borrow, or whatever to get the money to be there for the double the next day. We can't do it on our own. You need help, and the help is there. 800-GAMBLER, you know, uh, you can get Vin or Phil or one of the other good people that answer it, and we'll point you in the right direction to GA rooms for the spouses and loved ones, Gammonon, and to counseling appropriately, getting the help through individual counseling. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us. Proud of you that you uh, have been able to conquer it a second time and you're living your life the right way. And if I can ever return the favor, uh, you can count on me to be a part of uh, the solution down the line as well. We really appreciate Thanks, you coming Greg. on, Vin. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Thanks, Dan. I appreciate Always. it. Always. All right. Have a, great, have a great rest of your weekend, Vin. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. All right, before we wrap it up here for the weekend, uh, a couple things, Dan. Number one, you know, I love hearing older guys speak to it. You know, they're the backbone of recovery, in my opinion, at least, because of their life experiences. And it also proves, yet again, male, woman, age, color, creed, religion, it's the same for all of us. It's the same fight for all of us. And that fight can be won. And I really hope that that's the message that comes out of a show like this. And I know you do, too. Yeah, that's the important thing is just hearing that hope. I mean, Vin had it for over 20 years, and it's a reminder how new forms of gambling as they emerge, right? Because Casino wasn't around when he first started. And then all of a sudden, he's 20-plus years of recovery, and this new form of gambling pops up, and that's the trigger for him to return to use. And it's just it reminds me, fast forward to today, Craig, where we're seeing new forms of gambling popping up all the time. So people who are in recovery are not just managing their recovery on a daily basis, but now they're also dealing with the marketing, the commercials, all the new forms of things that are popping up. Now more than ever, we need to make sure people are connected with services and resources so that people can stay strong in their recovery. Yeah, I wish I could tell you the fact that if uh, an online casino or a gambling house offered me you know, a $1,000 free play that I'd say no to it, but I just don't know that I would. As much yeah. as I, I feel like I got it and I'm good and it's been – you know, three and a half years coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. I just, I don't know that I would. Jeez. You know, 11 and a half years in recovery, Craig, and I, I'm right there with you, man, because I, I would like to think that, oh, no, it's easy. It's an easy no. I'll tell you what, it's never an easy no. It just isn't because there's going to be a certain price that could be offered where you'd say, well, and you all of a sudden we start playing those mind tricks and we start justifying, 
I think we both agree, though, that the, the clear answer should always be no for us, right? Yeah. People who don't have a healthy relationship. But it's a lot easier to sit now saying, yeah, I'd probably say no versus when it's right in front of you. Yeah. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the test. And that's why we do this. And that's why we, we work on ourselves on a daily basis to try to make those situations a little easier to say no to as life emerges. Well, look, we won't have you on until after the holiday. Uh, so uh, best uh, to you and your family and your kids and your girlfriend. Uh, and I hope everything's well. And I hope that you guys are able to enjoy a great Thanksgiving. I, I might see you Thanksgiving morning for a little uh, touch football. Um, uh, this is possible. <laughs> which would be great. Uh, always good seeing you and always appreciate uh, your time. Uh, enjoy the holiday with your family. And uh, if I don't see you Thanksgiving morning, we'll see you the Saturday after for sure. That sounds great. Th happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. It definitely is something that we definitely reflect on as people in recovery on things that we're thankful for and on a daily basis, definitely thankful uh, for recovery for the opportunity um, to do this show with you and for all the countless number of people who listen and have called in looking for help. No doubt. Uh, that's Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management, and a reminder, of course, that our sponsor here, 1-800-GAMBLER, uh, the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, and appreciate all the hard work that those men and women do 24-7, 365. Evan Roberts coming up now, and then Evan and I are back uh, Monday at 2 o'clock. Thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig. We'll see you Monday at 2 right here on The Fan.